0: this podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.
1: Well, that's the healthy way to do it is to look at it as the opportunity that's in front of you now, as opposed to all the things that you didn't do, you didn't accomplish, that you failed at, that you look back with regret, and instead reframing that and saying, okay, well, that's the past. I can't do anything about it now, but what can I do? I can do something today, tomorrow,
0: and from now on. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness-related issues. On today's show, we're going to discuss the lack of new residential rental stock in Toronto. Also, why it can be hard to say no. And lastly, how to get your mojo back. But first, a little bit of business. Support for today's show comes from the Benvenuto Group. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency and comfort and will set the standards for informed residents. I'd like to welcome our first guest, Mitchell Abrahams. He's the principal of the Benvenuto Group. He's a real estate professional with over 25 years of commercial and multifamily residential real estate experience. He's converted apartments into condominiums and developed condominium and apartment projects. Welcome. Good to be back. How are you? All things are well. In past shows, we've talked a lot about amenities. Today, I thought we'd focus on the lack of new residential rental buildings in Toronto. Sound good? Okay. I keep reading about very low vacancy rates and escalating rents in the city. What are your thoughts on how to
2: deal with this? I think over the last 10 years, the condo market has become a surprise contributor to the rental housing stock in Toronto. And people wonder why. You know, for many years, there were purpose-built apartment buildings and developers who built them. Right. We tend to forget that that happened in the 50s and the 60s. And really, there was very little in the way of apartment construction for probably three or four decades. Right. And a big part of that came from changing legislation. At some point in the 70s, there were pretty tough rent controls put in place in Ontario. And people shied away not only from building apartment buildings, but even from upkeeping them. Rents were constrained and... uh, It made really little sense to build a new apartment building, and we started losing the best quality landlords and many of the institutions who invested in apartment buildings backed away because it wasn't in their best interest to be low-cost operators. So we were left with buildings that over time were in disrepair, rents were artificially low, and nothing new got built which in some ways led to a big part of the urban sprawl that we saw over many decades. People didn't have great choices in terms of high rise, so they bought homes and they bought homes further and further from the city. But in the last 20 years, we've realized that, number one, it's fun to live in the city. And number two, it's pretty environmentally friendly to congregate around the core of a city where the lifestyle amenities are and transit is and people work rather than getting in your car and driving uh, to work and spending hours a day going back and forth.
0: For sure. I mean, you know, the quality of life. It's one thing if you could get from the suburbs downtown in 20 minutes, but if it takes an hour each way, or or even longer, obviously, if you're living farther out of the city, then the quality of life impacts on the rest of your life exponentially.
2: So in 1998, rent controls got changed in Ontario, and they opened the door to reinvestment in the existing housing stock. The main policy that came into place is what people call vacancy decontrol. And that means that when an apartment turns over, you can renovate it and rents go to market. People who are Living in the building are protected in terms of having legislated rent increases. That opened the door to people reinvesting in existing stock, which had really low rents. But it takes time for a building to turn over and for rents to get closer to what real market rent should be, and it takes real market rents to incent people to build apartment buildings. Well, that makes sense. At the same time, there's a lot less risk to build a condominium than to build a rental building. Why is that? Well, number one, you pre-sell a condo building, right. so you know up front that the units are sold. You don't have much in the way of interest rate risk because you know that those units are sold. You put in construction financing for two years, but you don't have the component of having to take a, a mortgage out on the property in the future. So. You can lock in your profits, build a building, and sell it to a large number of different private purchasers who buy the units. And some of those, in a low interest rate environment in Ontario, have chosen to buy those units as investments. Some people buy them to live there, but others buy it as an investment. And some of that is because interest rates are low. People say, I don't have alternatives – as investments that that do well for me. And I can rent this thing out. And there is a really limited number of available vacant units in in Toronto. So number one, I can rent it out and I can get a return on my money. And it's a fairly liquid asset. Correct. And and I have other options for it, which an apartment building owner doesn't. You know, I can put my kids in it one day. I can retire to it one day. Right. Or I can sell it for a profit one day. So it takes some of the risk out of it as compared to building a purpose-built rental building because, you know, you have all those options. On the other side, it brings risk to the marketplace. You know, about a third of the rental market in Toronto now is rental condos. Right. And that's not healthy. I I don't think that's healthy. I don't think you need to be a a skilled analyst uh, in the housing sector to realize that in a higher interest rate environment, when condo fees go up and your mortgage rates go up, there's a pretty good chance that some people who are controlling a good part of the rental housing stock right now are going to put those units for sale. And we'll lose that inventory as compared to where people make a business of building apartment buildings and they're in it for the long term and they have no ability to sell those units and take them out of the rental pool.
0: Right. And also when a significant amount of the stock is being managed by non-professional property managers, there's going to be collateral issues too, I I presume.
2: You would think that over time – and again, it's always at the margin. Most people are responsible people who follow the rules and upkeep their properties. But I find it hard to believe that over time – People can do as good a job as someone who's built a business around building good apartment buildings. And that starts even from the, how those buildings were built. You know, When you're building an apartment building, you agonize to make sure that every suite is laid out the right way to attract renters for the next 20 years. Right. And that you can control your operating costs and keep your heating costs down and all those type of things. So it's just natural that over time these homes that were built as condos – start becoming less interesting as part of the rental housing stock, and that's a real risk. It's a risk that at a 1% vacancy rate in the marketplace, I think, needs to be countered by figuring out a real business plan. It makes no sense to me that the industry and the government are on two different pages when it comes to figuring out how we build a long-term rental housing industry that works.
0: Okay. So we've talked about the policies that were in place that sort of led to the situation we're in right now. Mm -hmm. What's going on legislatively now? What what are the cities trying to do to deal with it? And what are your thoughts on it?
2: I don't think enough positive is happening. First of all, in the last little while, we saw rent controls added to include post-1991 constructed buildings. Right. That's not a good thing. I mean, I understand the pressures of increasing rents. And politically, I'm sure that's a hard thing to deal with. People call at all levels and say, rents are getting out of control and I can't afford where I live. And that's not a good thing. Of course not. But I I think having short-term solutions to long-term problems is never a good thing. And really, to do that and to put constraints in place, you know that at some point, those issues impact supply negatively. When people don't have a way to make money in a business... They don't engage in it that much. So all these measures to try to protect rent increases that deal with things that, you know, constrain supply in the long term are going to have negative impacts. And it's a a discussion that we should have further. But to me, people need to figure out how do we put a basis together that, number one, recognizes there's two industries, affordable housing. Right. which should have a business plan and market housing which needs to be fair to both sides in terms of creating enough supply to deal with a really rapidly growing city and to protect people against unfair things by landlords like evictions that are not fair and rent increases that are you know not dealt with in a proper way but in general I think there's a lot of discussion to have about creating a long-term industry that makes sense for market rental and figuring out long-term solutions for affordable housing.
0: Well, I agree with you, and hopefully the next time you come on, we'll discuss maybe some ideas that you have that maybe the government should be thinking of in terms of how do we encourage – what should be a viable market to continue in in the city.
2: I'm not a hosing expert, but I've spent 30 years trying to figure this thing out from a proper business perspective. and, And I think that there's probably a fair bit to take away from that.
0: Perfect. We've got to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to discuss why it's sometimes hard to say no, all on the tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Purica. Purica wants you to turn its protein into your power. A blend of the finest vegan protein and the antioxidant powerhouse that is the pure chaga mushrooms. Purica Power features ingredients and enzymes designed to optimize digestion and absorption. Unlike many protein powders, Purica Power tastes great with water and mixes easily. It's available in chocolate, vanilla, and natural unflavored. From the Purica family to yours, Purica Power is a new way to make the most of every day. It's all part of the Purica commitment to making a positive difference in the lifestyle of its customers. Ask your favorite health food store for Purica Power vegan protein or visit purica.com. Purica: Nature, Science, You. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take this opportunity to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Purely Natural. They're fourth generation Master Herbalists. It's a family owned Canadian company that's been in business for over 100 years. They've been working with my company, Tonic Magazine, for over 10 years. And its principal, Joel Thuna, has been writing our fantastic preventative medicine column for over seven years. They're one of the original sponsors for the Omtio Yoga Festival. The company is certified GMP, kosher and organic. For more information about Purely Natural, please visit their website, purelynatural.com.
2: This
3: is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
0: Carlisle Jansen is the founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality shop and workshop centre in Toronto, and producer of the Feminist Porn Awards. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. Watch her TEDx Toronto talk and educational videos at carlylejansen.com. Carlyle also writes the sexual health column in Tonic Magazine. In the March issue, she explores an issue that has come up in the context of the Me Too disclosures that for some, and perhaps many, it is difficult to say no. Welcome. Hello. So in the article, you reference the widely reported interaction between the actor and comedian Aziz Ansari and a woman named Grace, who alleged that on a date, Ansari ignored verbal and nonverbal cues and was sexually aggressive. Yep. Is this a common experience for women?
3: It is. It is. And I think part of what gets us there is that we are often socialized to go along with things, to make things better, to make it okay. Um, We're often looking for acceptance and validity, that we are good sexual beings, that we're desired, that uh, we're hot, that we're interesting. And I think men also are taught that, you know, women are going to resist, but you need to, you know, when you, you know, they really want it though, right? And so you need <laughs> to pursue a bit, you know, no, you know, sometimes means I'm thinking about it. So keep going. And so I think, I think there's issues on both sides of the equation. And of course that's in straight relationships and it plays out also in other kinds of relationships.
0: So we're socialized or, or women are socialized to sort of play that role. Mm-hmm. Does, Expectation amongst partners play a role in, in these situations as well.
3: Absolutely, uh, you know, there's an expectation that once you start something, you're supposed to finish it. That right. when you're in a relationship, that you're supposed to put out. You know, it also works on the flip side where men, you know, uh, you know, they couldn't possibly be raped because, of course, men always want, always want sex, and so that's a. a further... Well, I, I can I
0: can vouch for that. <laughs> that's true.
3: That's a further <laughs> conflicting issue for men who have right. unwanted advances, especially by women, like, how can I say no, or I'm not supposed to say no. So it becomes convoluted. And we, you know, we talk to ourselves a lot. And we talk to ourselves about what's what am I supposed to do and what's right. And because we don't talk a lot about this, out in the world and all we have is just say no. Right. <laughs> that's it.
0: <laughs> right. No, that's the narrative. Either, either you're going to do what you're going to do or it's just say no and there's yeah. no in between. Right? Yeah,
3: and there's so much in between. And I think that's where we get stuck. Like I think in this issue with Grace, like she she wanted to connect with him. She wanted to have an erotic encounter with him. It wasn't going the way she wanted. And you know, she was kind of trying to say not not this or not that fast or whatever. And, you know, according to her, she communicated that. According to him, maybe he didn't feel that was strong enough or he just ignored it. We don't know. But that they were sort of stuck in that middle ground that, you know, leaving was not necessarily the only option.
0: Yeah. And let's look at the context of the situation. They weren't, you know, it isn't, It, it they weren't in court. They weren't at a dinner table. They were in in an intimate situation. Correct, yeah. And in the middle of passion, you you know, obviously you're looking for cues, but in the same moment, you're also emotionally invested in the moment. And you're probably not thinking with your head, I guess is one way to put it, right?
3: (laughs) Often you're not. And, you know, add to that time pressure, right? Like all of a sudden somebody's hand is somewhere and you're like, you feel like, how much time do I have to do this, you know? And do, can I say this? And then, you know, compound on top of that, like, you know, last time I said something, I got hit across the face or, you know, um, or that, you know, when when you were young that you were told that you had to do things, you know, your grandma hugged you and you weren't allowed to say no. And so you had to hug your grandma, even though you didn't want to. Right. And so we, we kind of lose our, our voice and being able to, to sort of say those kinds of things and those nuances.
0: Right. And you're also uh, socialized that there's a time when you say those things. And once that time has passed, right. you, you can't revisit it. So it's almost like the decision has been made either verbally or non-verbally. Correct. Yeah. And and it's like, oh, I could have said no a few minutes ago, but here we are. Right. I can't say no now.
3: Right. Right? Yeah. And often, you know, if I say no, what's the consequence going to be? How do I get out of it? You know, is this person still going to love me? Is he going to want to date me again? Right. If you're in a long-term relationship, what does this mean? Because we've got kids and a mortgage or, you know, it means all kinds of things depending on the context that you're in.
0: And some people are excellent communicators, but other people aren't. And really, this in some ways, is an issue of communication, isn't it?
3: Well, to some extent it is. It's also about self-esteem right. and about f- accessing that within you. Um, and, you know, I'm always astounded the number of people who can negotiate, you know, real estate or <laughs> with a boss or, you know, any other kind of situation, but, you know, or even chores. But when it comes to sex, they all of a sudden get tongue tied and, and, and there's a second guessing of ourselves, whether our needs are important, whether it's okay for us to speak up. And sometimes, you know what, it's just easier to go along with it right. and deal with the consequences later. And then afterwards, then you feel crappy. So you, you kind of push your feelings down, but then they emerge later.
0: Right. And in some respects, maybe if those emotions were addressed in the moment, Correct. they wouldn't feel as intense. Yep. Because after the fact, there's feelings of shame and regret.
3: Yeah, you let yourself down and you're mad because you feel like you tried to communicate. The other person didn't listen and maybe they weren't listening and maybe they were ignoring. Like who knows, you know, in different situations.
0: Okay, so that's what happens when you're in the situation and how you feel about it and how we can find ourselves there. But maybe there's ways we can avoid those situations. So what do you think about that?
3: Well, I mean, I think that's the, the advantage of the abstinence movement that just says, like, just don't put yourself in that situation and, you know, just say no. And that's great for people who want to do that. But right. most of us live in gray areas. so right. That's you know, not for everybody. <laughs> so I think thinking ahead of time, what do I want to do? What are my bottom lines? And, you know, what's my escape plan, <laughs> right? right? If I find that I'm not really being listened to, how, how am I going to get myself out of there? How am I going to listen to myself? And how am I going to keep myself safe?
0: Well, that's good advice. Thank you for coming in today.
3: It's always a pleasure.
0: We've got to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to discuss how to get your mojo back all on The Tonic. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit omegaalphainc.com. As one of the largest coach education organizations in the world, the Certified Coaches Federation provides training for individuals and companies looking to transform themselves and those around them through the power of life and executive coaching. Whether you want to work with men, women, or teens, helping them achieve clarity on their goals and wanting to provide the support and accountability only a professional coach can deliver. The Certified Coaches Federation or CCF has trained over 13,000 certified coach practitioners worldwide just to do that. CCF certified coach practitioners provide clear, concise, and relevant direction to anyone dissatisfied with where they are and have found themselves stuck not knowing what to do about it. With the most accessible coach education available, the Cert- the Certified Coaches Federation prides itself on delivering the most relevant information, providing attainable skills, and creating unique tools to support anyone with a thirst for helping others. Whether you're an aspiring coach or already a veteran, the Certified Coaches Federation has a type of training suited to your needs. Contact the Certified Coaches Federation at 1-866-455-2155 or certifiedcoachesfederation.com. You're
2: listening to The Tonic. On Sumer
0: Radio. Welcome back. Our next guest, Rod McDonald, has over 30 years in the field of self-development. Rod is the CEO of the Certified Coaches Federation, one of the largest coach education companies in the world. He's a speaker, coach, and author. For more information on Rod, visit indestructiblehuman.com. And for more information about the Certified Coaches Federation, please visit certifiedcoachesfederation.com. Hey, Rod, welcome back. Hey, Jamie. It's great to be back. Your article in the March issue of Tonic Magazine, which also happens to be the cover of the March issue, discusses ways in which men struggling with midlife issues can get their mojo back. The article resonated with me, so I'm interested in discussing it today. But speak slowly because I'm taking copious notes, all right? Absolutely. Let's start with bucket lists or goals that have been put off because that's where you start in the article. Yeah, you know, I I think that we all
1: at an early stage in our lives, have a pretty big bucket list of things that we'd like to accomplish. And then unfortunately along the way, many of us make compromises and we bury some of those things, we let go of some of those things. And then when we hit those midlife moments, those times of our lives where we either are forced to have opportunities to look at our lives or create opportunities to look at our lives, we actually have an opportunity to look at that bucket list again and find uh, a new passion or to renew a passion that maybe we once let go of.
0: Right. So we're not looking back with regret, but we're looking at it as an opportunity to say, hey, you know, I, I didn't follow through with that but maybe it's time that I did. Well, that's the healthy
1: way to do it is to look at it as, as the opportunity that's uh, in front of you now, as opposed to all the things that you didn't do, you didn't accomplish, that you failed at, that you look back uh, with regret and instead reframing that and saying, okay, well, that's the past. I can't do anything about it now, but what can I do? I can do something today,
0: tomorrow, and from now on. Right. And, you know, revisiting those things that you maybe wanted to do when you're younger, the to to do it when you're older, after you've had life experience, you know, successes, failures, whatever, it contextualizes and edifies your ability to actually follow through with those wishes that maybe you couldn't have done at an earlier age. Absolutely. And, and
1: you you have perspective at a, at a later point in your life where you can look back and look at why you may have wanted to do those things early on, whether or not they're still important to you. And then actually, uh, in many cases, you have the time some and, and often the resources to be able to actualize some of these things and in some cases they're transformational in other cases it's a sort of a meh moment of, right. of sort of looking at like oh i thought that was going to be great but it was just okay and then it and it further adds texture to your life to put perspective on what you thought was going to be awesome maybe wasn't something that you thought was going to be run of the mill like going for a hike in the woods and actually was transformational
0: right okay so let's let's continue on in that path one of the other things you mentioned ways to sort of get those Good feelings back is exercise. So, other than a hike in the woods, what do you have to say about that?
1: Well, the hike in the woods is actually the the best thing because you're combining exercise with nature, right? And the combination of those two things is very powerful. We know from a psychological standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, that getting that extra oxygen, getting the exposure to the greenery, and in fact, there's there's a side note there, which is if you can't get into nature, have a picture of nature in your working space because it actually improves your mood. But exercise is unique in its ability to change one's perspective on life almost instantaneously because of
0: what happens at a metabolic level within your body. Sure. I mean, like the endorphin release, the the runner's high, I think is, you know, one way of phrasing it. But, you know, for example, I did a strength and endurance class last night and, you know, I dread them when I'm doing them. But when I'm done, I really feel good. I'm in a different frame of mind. You know, the tension is released and...
1: Absolutely. And it goes to the whole piece around uh, routine and habit formation that many people, uh, especially when they're first starting out or starting back, they don't enjoy exercise. But once they make it part of their routine, whether it's first thing in the morning or after work or whenever it is that they fit it in, if they can keep it up for a few months, then generally it becomes part of their routine. And that hesitation, that uh, not looking forward to it
0: disappears and it becomes an everyday activity. Right, and, and the other thing that we can do sort of every day once, once we're dealing with the physical is also what we're intaking. So, you know, a healthy diet is important too, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, there's, there's been numerous studies that indicate that what you eat can can be as transformational as medication in terms of altering mood and and how you feel about things so the combination of the the right food at the right time with exercise getting out into nature if possible and bringing good things into your life so listening to good things like uh, the tonic right um, you know watching a TED talk and, and staying away from things like too much social media too much headline news will create a space within your your head and your heart that allows allows you to get that mojo back and to be
0: the best version of yourself. And once you get your mojo back or while you're in the process of getting your mojo back, another important aspect is who you're spending time with too, right? Absolutely.
1: So having that great circle of influence, and that can be family, it can be friends, it can be uh, people who share your passions, maybe it's you're, you're part of a running group or a book club or whatever the case may be. It doesn't really matter who those people are as long as they support you unconditionally and challenge you to an extent so that you can continue growing and being the best version of yourself you can be.
0: I agree. And and I think it's also important that you actually have physical contact with them. I think we've been socialized now to sort of connect with people online. And I actually think it's, it's dangerous and isolating. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if you actually spend time, make a point to see the people that you care about and be with them, it's a completely different experience uh, than sort of connecting with them digitally. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, inevitably, we do our
1: best to fit in the technology to stay in contact with with people, right? but absolutely agree that being physically in, ta- in contact in the same space, looking at people in the eye, and being
0: able to read their body language is critical. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming in today. My pleasure. Next month, we're going to have you back, and we're going to discuss how you detox from a bad relationship, right? Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomeradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Rod McDonald and Carlisle Jansen, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic magazine. Tonic is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week when we'll discuss spring detox, digestion, and preventing yoga injuries. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.